Welcome to the first in the series of podcasts from the Plastic Surgery Journal Club. Each month we review and appraise a journal article from PRS and summarize it for you in this short podcast. The full paper can be obtained from the PRS Journal website. We are next discussing the treatment of paediatric condylar fractures, a 20-year experience out of Johns Hopkins University, and uh, have Dr. Frank Sear from the uh, Children's Hospital of Westmead. He's the accredited registrar. So, Frank, this is very relevant to you, being yes. currently working in a paediatric unit. That's right. So, what was this paper about? Um, so, this paper is to uh, review um, all the all the patients they have for the. Uh, the 20 years between 1990 to 2010 um, that were treated at Johns Hopkins and um, they want to look at these fracture against the current um, uh, classification of the fracture and the, the two main classification they pick are the uh, the Strasbourg uh, osteosynthesis research group as well as Lindau methods okay and they subsequently divided all these patients into two groups those they, that are over seven years old and those that are younger than seven years old and all the patients um, with CT and OPG were reviewed um, so what they found is that they went into detail about how um, Lindau system defined a fracture um, so the head neck subcondyla as well as the head direction and the angulation of the fracture um, plus the uh, the head position related to, to the uh, uh, TMJ fossa. Uh, whereas Strasbourg uh, is more simplified, uh, so it's ca- uh, classified into diacapitula, condylar neck, as well as condylar base. Um, interestingly, because of different classification system, um, using the Strasbourg system, they managed to identify 92 condyles fracture out of 64 patients. Whereas if you use the Lindau system, they identify 104 condyle fracture in 64 patients. Um, what they found was that uh, most um, patients younger than 7 years old had a, a diacapitular fracture, whereas more than 7 years old have more neck and subcondylar fracture. And it is explained by because there's a growth center in the condyle and as the mandible grows, um, the thinnest area would be around the neck area. So hence that the fracture patterns move more distally um, as we age. Um, and they they managed to uh, follow up with 67% of uh, all these patients and identified 10 complications and um, out of these 10, 9 of them have got, uh, cons- uh, has got um, simultaneous uh, mandibular arch fracture and, um, and 5 out of these 10 also had male occlusion. Now that's, that's a pretty high male occlusion rate um, but um, we know that condylar fracture is a difficult uh, fracture to treat and the way they prefer to treat it mostly would be just purely close uh, reduction so i.e. Um, keep the patient on soft diet or um, they can have arch bars um, they, they are really really reluctant to go into ORIF yeah okay look, that was an excellent summary of the paper I mean one of the issues which what we discussed was uh, uh, the follow-up with these patients and uh, uh, certainly their ability to, well, I mean, they had to exclude a certain number of patients as they were lost to follow-up, so it would have been interesting if the numbers could have been mm. uh, boosted by capturing more of the patients who were treated using their protocol. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we discussed was that although uh, it was sort of mentioned that, you know, 70-odd uh, percent of these patients did very well with no complications, that 
the 20% did have significant complications, well, we did have complications, and especially the complication of malocclusion is a very significant one. It's the reason why, one of the main reasons why we do treat mandibular fractures in order to prevent malocclusion. One of the things that was not answered, and I guess needs longer study to answer, is what the effect of the treatments are with growth, whether we're talking about um, open reduction internal fixation or uh, IMF or conservative, uh, non-operative uh, treatment. Um, and that's something which unfortunately this paper didn't answer. There was no mention of what was done about the patients with the malocclusion. Uh, were they treated in any way or um, uh, is the plan just to monitor them and then the patients will need uh, orthodontic and or orthognathic mm. uh, correction when they reach skeletal maturity? Because mm. that obviously would be a, um, a pretty significant complication mm. from uh, the treatment. Um, they did quote a number of studies in the discussion where, uh, you know, case series, which is like theirs is, of uh, using overreduction internal fixation. I think, generally speaking, the feeling in the room tonight was that um, uh, opening up a, a condyle on a, on a child and potentially uh, damaging their uh, facial nerve is, is something not to be done lightly. No. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes may need to be done. Yeah. We also discussed the use of plates, and uh, certainly my experience with the resorbable plates is they are pretty bulky. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, in the cases which I've done, I've, I'd much rather use uh, uh, traditional yeah. titanium yep. where you can get smaller screws and, and, and sort of better fixation mm. uh, more reliably. Mm. Um, but uh, still, uh, I, the classification systems were interesting, yep. um, and, uh, and their results were interesting. Yep. And um, uh, this is a very, challenging patient group. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the uh, a very good point is uh, it would make um, it would make a great paper if uh, they can actually do a follow-up um, after the maturity of yeah. this skeleton yes. that would that would really mark the uh, the significance of this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was great. Thank you. Frank, thank you. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcast head to soundcloud.com and search Plastic Surgery Journals. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks to the PRS Journal team for their ongoing support.